Good to see you. Welcome. Welcome, River Glen. Welcome, everybody here in Waukesha. Welcome, everybody in Pewaukee and online on the other side of the camera. So good to have you with us. Thank you for joining us for church. Uh, today we continue week four of a series called Big Questions. These are questions that can get us uh, stuck, questions that people like you and me have about God and the Bible <clears throat> and faith. And you know what? These are also questions that many of us will get asked. And we really uh, need to be ready and be prepared to answer. Today's a really big question that has caused uh, families, caused tension in families and in nations. I mean, people all over the world are asking this question right here. Are all religions equal? I've been thinking about this question because it's something that uh, happened uh, recently. About a year ago, my, my wife picked me, up, picked me up at the airport in Milwaukee. It's late at night. I was hungry. And we stopped at a restaurant nearby. It served Mediterranean food, kebabs, pitas, hummus, that kind of thing. It got really good reviews online. But when we uh, walked in, we felt like we stuck out. Stuck, stuck out. My wife was the only woman in the restaurant not wearing a head covering. Uh, turns out that we were right next to the uh, Islamic uh, temple, which is really the center of Islam in uh, Wisconsin. And so many of the people in the restaurant were likely Muslims. We, we stood out, but, I mean, they were really friendly and welcoming. They helped, it, helped us understand their menu. And, man, the food was really uh, good. I'm getting hungry looking at that. So good that we've actually gone back a few times. But as I sat there and watched the people, I thought about how I was born into a Christian family. I didn't make that choice. I mean, I could have been born into a Muslim family, and I'd likely have different uh, beliefs And I thought about how God loves all people. I mean, he loves these people. He loves all of us. But do they need to hear about Jesus? Or are there multiple ways to God? Are all religions equal? That's what I want, want to talk about uh, today. And this may be the most personal question that we talk about in this series. Because we're talking about real people. Your neighbors. Your friends. Your coworkers. Your family members, people that serve you in restaurants and stores, people that you love and care about, do they need to hear about Jesus? Or are there multiple ways to God? I think a lot of people view different religions, kind of like this soda machine. Have you seen these things? I think these things are great. I love them. I'm surprised they're not more popular. They're out there in a few restaurants. And the way it works is you, you, know, you make a choice, like you push uh, Coke, and then you get like seven different options. There's lime Coke, cherry Coke, vanilla Coke, cherry, vanilla Coke. Uh, two of our kids during high school worked at one, of, at one of these restaurants that had a machine like this, and I loved it. I would stand up there in front of that machine for like 10 minutes. I'd try a sample of lime Coke. I'd pour it out. I'd try a sample of cherry Coke. I'd pour it out. I'd try a sample of vanilla root beer, which turned out to be my uh, favorite. And I'd pour that out. People behind me are going, hey, buddy the elf, move on. Hurry up. But I wanted to try every, every flavor uh, that I could. And this is how many people look at different religions in our world today. They think, well, you know, there's lime Coke. There's cherry Coke, there's vanilla Coke, but they're all basically Coke. And so, you know, there's Christianity, there's Islam, there's Buddhism, Mormonism, different flavors maybe, but, you know, really they're all, they're all Coke. Uh, they, they tell us to, to love one another. They all believe in a higher being. You know, they might have different flavors maybe, but people will say they're all essentially 
the, the same. And in some ways, that sounds appealing. I mean, I, part of me uh, wishes I could stand up here and say, yeah, all, all religions are, are equal. They're all different roads that li- will lead you to the same city. And so, you know, whatever, whichever one you choose, uh, you're going to be fine. That sounds like the loving and kind thing to say. And we live in a culture that is suspicious of answers. I mean, who are we to think that we have the, the answer? There are no definitive Answers reminds me of a skit they did on Saturday Night Live uh, many years ago. It was called uh, one of those uh, Jack Handy deep thought uh, moments. It went like this. Instead of having answers on a math test, uh, they should call them impressions. And if you got a different impression, so what? Can't we all just be brothers? You know, that's the world that we live in today. Everybody has a different impression. There are no definitive answers or uh, truth. But, but I want you to think about this for a moment. Imagine you went to the uh, doctor and the uh, doctor, you know, examined you. And the doctor said, you know what? You are a magnificent physical specimen. You have the body of an Olympic athlete. By the way, I've never had a doctor say that about me. Uh, some of you are like, yeah, that's kind of obvious. But imagine a doctor says to you, you are just this magnificent physical specimen. And then you leave, and later on that day, you're walking up some stairs, and your heart goes out. They rush you to the hospital, and you find out you're one Krispy Kreme away from the Grim Reaper. Yeah. And, you know, you go back to that doctor, and you go, what gives, doc? You know, you told me that I was in incredible shape. And he goes, the doctor goes, yeah, I I could tell that your body was, you know, worse off than the Pillsbury Doughboy. But... I didn't want to come across as arrogant, like I know all the answers. And sometimes when I I, I tell people they need to make some changes in their lifestyle or diet, they they get offended. And and I want this to be a safe environment where, where, where you feel loved and accepted. You know, you'd go... Well, that's great, Doc, but, you know, I didn't, I didn't come here for an ego boost or a feel-good comment. What I really needed was for you to tell me the truth. And sometimes an answer can come across as narrow or rigid or even offensive, but it's actually what saves a person's life. And I wish I could stand up here and say, you know, all roads lead to God, you know, whatever religion you pick, uh, you're going to be fine. But if you compare Christianity to other religions, uh, you find significant differences. Islam, for example, doesn't believe that Jesus died on a cross, that somehow Judas replaced him. Hindus believe that Jesus was a wise teacher, maybe reincarnated to a higher level, but, but not, not, not the son of God. Uh, Christians believe Jesus was a real person. He grew up in Nazareth. He died on a cross, but he came back to life. So any intellectually honest person would have to acknowledge that Christianity and other religions have major differences. But here's what I want to do today. I want to take the conversation away from religions. And I want to talk about Jesus because I don't follow a religion. I follow Jesus. And I want to know what did Jesus teach? What did Jesus say about this? Did Jesus teach that there are multiple ways uh, to God and it really doesn't matter which one you choose? Or did Jesus teach that there's, that there's one way? To God. Well, here's what Jesus uh, taught about this in John chapter 14. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Notice he doesn't say, I am a way, 
a truth. He says, I am the way, the truth. And look how he gets crystal clear. No one can come to the Father except through me. That was as politically incorrect in the first century as it is in our world uh, today. But it gets, it gets picked up later on in the New Testament when Peter talks about the name of, of Jesus. And he says, salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be uh, saved. He says, there's no other name. You know, some people will say, well, you know, it doesn't matter what you call yourself. It doesn't matter what name you believe in because all religions are, are equal. They're all th the same. But is that even what other religions teach? The uh, leader of Buddhism, he's called the, the, the Dalai Lama, has publicly admitted that uh, Buddhism and Christianity are incompatible. And you can't be a Christian Buddhist or a Buddhist Christian because a follower of Jesus believes in a personal God. Um, Buddhists reject a higher being. And that's true for every world religion. Hindus believe there's millions of gods. Christians believe that there's one. Islam believes that Jesus was a prophet, not in the top three. Christians believe that he's the son of God. So here, here's the question I want to ask today. What makes Jesus unique? If Jesus is the way, if he's the true truth, if he's, if he's the only way to God the Father, then we would expect to see some ways that he is unique from, from other religions and religious figures. And here's the first way that Jesus is unique, and it's, it's the atonement. Now, that's a fancy word. You probably don't hear that word on Sports Center. And so let me, let me go ahead and just define that word for you. It means that Jesus atoned for our sins. He took our place. Let me use this analogy. I want you to imagine for a moment that you were convicted of vehicular homicide. You're, you're, you're speeding in your car. You hit a pedestrian. They take you to court. The judge declares you guilty and sentences you to death. And then something really strange happens. The judge walks around, walks around his or her bench, and with a look of compassion, the judge looks at you and says, I'm an honest judge. Somebody's got to pay uh, the penalty for this crime, but I love you. I don't want your life to end this way, and so I'm going to take your place. I'm going to die in your, in, in, in your place. And the judge walks out of the courthouse into the electric chair for you. And that's what Jesus Christ has done for all of us. Look at what Romans chapter 5 says. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. All the world, world religions say, well, you know, you need to be a good person. Uh, you just need to be a good person to, to get to heaven. And so let's see how the, the scales work out in your life. But Jesus is, is different. says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He atoned for us. He took our place. But you know what? Our culture right now is just consumed with, with self-help. Our culture is, is like on self-help overload. And self-help books and seminars and conferences and podcasts, I mean, they have value. They, they can be helpful. But here's what self-help uh, resources are, are good at. They're good at telling you what you need to do. You know, you, you know what they're not so good at? They're not good at giving you the power to do it. 
You know, I saw this uh, video of a woman on social media that I can relate to. I think all of us in Wisconsin can relate to her. She's trying to climb up an icy trail uh, to get to the top of the hill. She takes a few steps, then slides back. I get a kick out of the cameraman. You know, he, he, yeah, he reaches his hand, but it's way out of reach. And he, the camera person just records her sliding all the way down uh, the, the hill. And that's how some people view getting to God. They think that you've got to get up the mountain. You've got to get up the mountain yourself. It's like self-help. 74% of Americans believe they contribute to their own salvation. But here's the problem with that. Sin is like ice. You take a few steps forward, you make some progress, but then you slide back. And I wonder if there are any of us here that keep on sliding on sin. You know, you feel like you're making progress, but you slide back into some old ways, into some old habits. Self-help will tell you, pick yourself up. You can do it. You've got to believe in yourself, but, but that's never enough. We're not saved by believing in ourselves. We're saved by believing in Jesus Christ. Every world religion says, you know, if you want to get to God, you got to go up uh, the mountain. Jesus says, God came down the mountain. You know, God didn't stay at the top of the mountain and, you know, hope that we make it up to the top. God doesn't stand at the top of the mountain with a video camera, you know, reaching a hand that's way out of our reach. He doesn't expect you to do most of the work. The Bible says that God sent his son Jesus down the mountain to rescue us. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. But he paid the penalty for our sins that we didn't deserve. That's the atonement. Um, no other religion, no other religious figure has ever even claimed uh, to do that. Here's the second way that Jesus is unique, <clears throat> and it's the resurrection. Our, our faith, our Christian faith is not just built on a belief system or a philosophy or action steps. It's built on a historical event. Did Jesus resurrect uh, from the dead? And if the answer to that question is yes, then that moves Christianity into another category. If the answer is yes, then you, you can't even compare Jesus to other religious uh, figures. I watched a debate between two scholars uh, on whether the resurrection actually happened. You can watch it. It's on YouTube. It's a debate between a Christian named William Lane Craig and an atheist by the name of Gerd Ludeman. And uh, Gerd is a smart-sounding name. I thought maybe, maybe Gerd has got some smart reasons. Well, here's what... Here's what Gerd Ludeman believes happened. He believes the disciples hallucinated when they thought they saw the, the risen Jesus. Apparently they had been uh, smoking something funny or maybe they ate too many figs and it went to their head. And they thought they saw Jesus after his resurrection, but it actually wasn't him. Now, I'm not an expert on hallucinations, but the scripture says that over 500 people saw uh, the resurrected Jesus. And 500 people, I mean, cannot hallucinate the same thing at the same time. In fact, Gerd Ludeman even concedes that the scripture that says over 500 people saw uh, Jesus at the same time dates back to when those 500 people were still alive and they could, they could have confirmed or denied it. And if these 500 disciples hallucinated, think about this, why didn't the Romans just produce the dead body of Jesus. When the disciples walked around saying, yeah, we saw Jesus. Uh, Jesus is alive. Why didn't the Romans 
come in and go, here's the dead body. Here it is. It would have ended Christianity. But they never uh, did that. Back in the first century, the critics of Christianity said the disciples must have stolen the, the body. Even documents outside the Bible say the tomb was empty. Everybody agrees the tomb was empty. And the critics say, well, the disciples must have stolen the body. But we've realized today how unlikely uh, that was. The Romans put a huge stone in front of the tomb. They guarded the tomb. How could you move that stone and not wake up the Roman soldiers who, who, who guarded it? Maybe more importantly, 11 of the 12 disciples, I mean, they died for their faith in the resurrection. You know, sometimes people will die for something they believe is true. Sometimes people will die for something they think is true. Nobody gives their life for something that they know is false. And the disciples were in a position to know if it was false. They, had, they would have known if they were lying. They would have known if they had stolen the body. And yet 11 of the 12 lost their life because of their faith in the resurrection. For example, James was pushed off the temple, beaten to death in Jerusalem. Peter was crucified upside down. They killed Matthew with a sword. Andrew was crucified in Greece. Simon was also crucified. Thomas was run through with a, a spear. Jude was shot full of arrows. Matthias, that was, the, that was the disciple who replaced Judas. They drew lots to see who would be the lucky 12th disciple. And it was Matthias. And what did he, what did he get? A few years later, they stoned and beheaded Matthias. Uh, John was the only one who, who uh, died of natural causes. But at one point, they put John in a boiling pot of oil and told him to recant. But he didn't recant his faith, and somehow he survived uh, the boiling pot of oil, and he went and he lived in exile on an island off Greece called Patmos. Now, I don't know about you, but the moment, you know, they would try to put me in a pot of boiling oil... Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going, I'm out, I'm out. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, hey, this is funny. You know, uh, you know we said we saw Jesus. Uh, uh, we lied, we made it up, we stole the body. We thought we'd get famous, we thought we'd get rich, but, but we're not, we're getting boiled. I'm out. But none of the disciples did that. All of them, I mean, gave their life for their faith. If you want to read more about the how the disciples, all the disciples gave their life for their faith and their resurrection. Scan the QR code on the seat back in front of you or go to the message page on our website. We've posted some links to articles and videos that go more in depth. And I hope you'll check it out. It is powerful evidence. The disciples, they didn't make up the empty tomb and the resurrection to confirm their faith. The empty tomb and the resurrection developed their faith. Jesus resurrected back to life. No one even claims to have ever even done that before. One more way Jesus is unique. Grace. Grace. Many years ago in England, they held a conference on comparative religions. And they tried to answer this question. What, if anything, sets Christianity apart from world religions? They debated this for hours until C.S. Lewis uh, walked into the room. C.S. Lewis had journeyed from atheism to becoming a follower of Jesus, went on to become one of the greatest authors. He wrote the uh, Chronicles of Narnia series. When Lewis heard what they were talking about, he looked at the group and he said, that's easy. That's easy. 
It's grace. And the group discussed it and they agreed. What sets Christianity apart is grace. Only Christianity teaches the unconditional love of, of God. No strings attached. Free of, of charge. Now, I don't believe grace is true because it works. I believe because it's true that it works in people's lives. I want to read an email to you that I heard another pastor uh, from another church uh, read to his church. He received this email from a, a woman who had a question. And I, I wonder if, if maybe some of us have a similar question uh, today. Here, here's what the, she wrote in the email. She said, as I type out this email, I sit here contemplating uh, the words to use. Words cannot describe the pain and the guilt that I've felt the last two months. Last year, I found out I was five months pregnant. When I read the positive test, my heart dropped to my stomach and I fell to the floor. I've been dating my boyfriend for over a year. We started living together but never planned on kids. We decided to get an abortion. The surgical abortion was the most excruciating pain I will ever feel in my life. It was the worst two days I've ever had. I couldn't think of anything else but God looking down on me. And what was he thinking? All I could think of was shame and disappointment. Why would God ever want to forgive someone who does something like that? She writes, to some people, it may not seem like a killing, but having gone through it, that's what it seemed like to me. After the surgery, my boyfriend and I had a conversation about how we understand now why God says to wait until marriage to be intimate. Our bodies are a sacred temple, and just because you're in love doesn't mean you should give yourself to them before marriage. God asks us to wait to avoid things like what I went through. Neither my boyfriend or I saved ourselves for each other, and we wish now that we had. As of today, the pregnancy and abortion are secret. My question is this, would God forgive me for having an abortion? And maybe you wonder about a similar question. Maybe you think, you know, God, would you ever forgive me? God, could you even forgive me for the abortion, for the uh, affair, for the harsh words that I used, for the lie that I kept secret. Every other world religion says sin is, is just an, an illusion. Uh, don't worry about it. There's no such thing as sin. Or uh, they would say, just, just balance out the scales by doing enough good works. But that doesn't work. If, if sin is just an illusion, then why do we have a conscience? And why have some of us maybe carried shame and guilt for, for years? And how can we balance off the scales you know, that, that's impossible for some of us. But the good news is that God made a way. It's the way, the truth, the life. It's Jesus Christ atoning for our sins, resurrecting from the grave, and offering us the gift of, of grace. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 puts it this way. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, I love this little word now. You don't have to wait a week. You don't have to wait a year. You don't have to clean up first. Jesus wants to set you free now. There's, there's no condemnation or shame for, or guilt uh, for, 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 for sin. There, now, now there's, there's going to be consequences for our sins. And you heard about some of those 
in the email, and I hope that serves as a caution to us. But while there may be consequences for sin, there doesn't have to be condemnation from sin. Scripture says it this way in 1 John, if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us. You know, I wonder how many of us need to confess something to God. I wonder how many of us need to say, I believe that Jesus Christ atoned for sin. I believe that he resurrected from the dead and I receive his grace and forgiveness into my life. So are all religions equal? No, they're not equal because Jesus is equal to no one. There is no one who has paid the debt for our sin. There is no one who has died and defeated death. There is no one who offers the gift of eternal life through grace. And if you have never received that gift into your life, I wanna invite you to make a decision today to put your trust, to put your faith in Jesus. And if you're making that decision today, would you let us know? We wanna celebrate with you. We wanna encourage you and help you take your next steps. You can fill out the welcome card in the seat back in front of you or you could fill out the digital welcome card online and let us know. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, I've done that. I've already put my faith in Jesus. Is there someone else who needs to know how unique Jesus is? Is there somebody in your life that needs to know that Jesus atoned for sin, that he overcame death and that he offers us grace? Next weekend, we're gonna address the biggest question that people have about Christianity. It's this one right here. Why do bad things happen to good people? The question of pain and suffering. I'm telling you, this is the number one issue, the number one hang up uh, for, mo for most uh, people. And next week would be a great weekend for you to invite somebody uh, to come with you to church to hear about Jesus. Would you consider inviting a person with you to church next weekend? I wanna close this message today by uh, praying and by inviting you to share communion with us uh, together as an expression of our faith in the uniqueness of uh, Jesus. I'm going to lead us uh, together after I pray. We've got communion available on the tables in the back of the room. Feel free to help yourself. If you're watching online, you can use your own items, your own liquid and solid. We do this together every weekend to remember and celebrate how Jesus atoned for our sins, how he resurrected from the grave. He's alive. That's why we call it communion, because we can commune with him right now. And he offers us uh, the gift of, of grace and forgiveness, making us part of his family, part of his church. Our communion is open to anybody who makes the decision uh, to follow Jesus. And maybe, maybe some of you will join us today for the first time. I'm going to pray and then um, I'm going to lead us to share communion together here in uh, Waukesha and Laura is going to lead in Pewaukee. Let me pray for us. Jesus, there's no one like you. There's no other name by which we can be saved. And so God, I pray right now for those of us in the quietness of our mind who are calling out to you in the name of Jesus. Maybe some today for the first time, God, we confess our sins to you. 
we believe you paid the penalty for them and resurrected back to life. God, today we put our faith in you. We put our trust in you. God, there are others of us here who know people who need to hear the name of Jesus, who need to know what Jesus did for them. And God, we can get apathetic. I know I can get apathetic. We pray this week that you would give us opportunities to talk about you and how unique you are and maybe invite someone to come to church. God, I pray that you use us this week to make a difference in one person's life. And God, we pause to to share communion, to acknowledge that you are unique and to thank you for what you've done. And we pray this in Jesus' name.